the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. Okay, welcome back to the Missional Life Podcast. We are excited about our next guest today, which is uh, Julie Mapatano from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and she leads a ministry called Redeeming Love Ministries. Julie, how are you today? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, definitely blessed. Amen. Yeah, and we're so honored to have you on our podcast today. So thanks for coming. Yes, Ms. Amanda. Julie is a personal friend of ours. She has an amazing story, an inspiring story, and uh, we're just excited to get uh, some of those details and, and just encourage all of us to, to live the mission of God in our lives. So Julie, can you take us back uh, a little bit? Um, wow. So you're, you're originally from Democratic Republic of Congo. Can you share a little bit about your story, uh, about your, your being born there and just sort of your upbringing within, within that country? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was born in the, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is in the middle of Africa. We are surrounded by nine countries. Uh, so it's really a huge country. But little that I knew that one day I would also be in America. But starting back, I grew up with my parents who are Christian religion, but they were, they were believers. Um, my mom worked as a nurse and my dad worked as a teacher. So, and we are 10 kids in a family, seven girls, three boys. So we we always a big family. So um, growing in Congo, my whole life, we had a guy, a, a president called uh, Mobutu. He was a dictator. So since I was born, I knew him as the president and until I was old, he was still the president. So he never changed until 1996, when the rebels started and chased him out of the power. And that's when the war started in the Congo. So for, for that, he forced us all to run away from our homes. Um, at that time, I had, three, I had two kids and I was eight months pregnant. Mm. So he forced us, me and my husband and the two kids and everyone else to, be, to run and the best way, because people were dying and the houses were on fire and everything, it was horrible and bad. So we decided to go to our home village and see if we can find refuge there because the city was completely in, in, in fire. But our first stop, while we were walking to go to the village, we found a stop of soldier and piles of, of bodies like war, like blood running like water on the street because they have killed a bunch of people. Oh my. Imagine you are pregnant, huge, eight, eight months, and then one little kid in the back and your husband have another little one on his shoulder. And they say, they ask us the first question, do you have American dollar? Mm. And my husband said, yes, yes, I have some American dollar. So when he gave the American dollar, he gave $100. And then they said, you know, this guy, they already cut him, his hand is really holding on a tissue. 
And then he said, yes, that's my brother, your brother. So you want to save him? He touched again in his pocket. He found another hundred dollars and he he gave to the soldier. And then I, at that time, we cut the sleeve of uh, of my husband's uh, shirt. And then we hold that guy um, a little bit. But we couldn't go far with him because the lost bullet is still like flying all over the place. So we have to tell him, please find someone else to take you because people are dying in front of you, beside you, mm-hmm. and you can't go far. So we run three days, three nights without uh, like in the, in the hills, in the valley, in the hill, in the valley, there's no food. You just eat digging potato and... Uh, in the fields or something that you can eat and, and river drink whatever water can found until we reached the village. So arriving at the village, I was now my pregnancy is like forcing to come out. There's no hospital open. Nothing is open to be able to help me. Then my mom being a midwife, thank God, she knew what to do, bunch of pillows and helping me took care of the other two kids. But in my little surprise that night, uh, my husband came and said, hey, do you know we men are not sleeping in the house either? And I'm like, what do you mean? So Rebel was coming every night and do patrol and go in the homes. And if you have, uh, there's a male child or male man who is over 12 years old, they'll take them as a slave, uh, as a soldier slave or some soldier boys or the men, they will kill them. So men who have learned the best way to hide is to dig a hole during the night, the day, and the night they load themselves under and put some green grass on top so they can be able to, to hide themselves from this, the rebels. Wow. Wow. So life in the village was not easier either. So we have to decide what we're going to do, my husband saying then also working before he was working for the United Nations. So he was like a big target also. So mm-hmm. I had to tell him to go and find a, a refugee in a different country where he can be able to hide. So then three days later, so we said goodbye and he left and went to different countries. So I didn't know where he went at that time. So. I'm staying with my travel pregnancy and my two kids and my parents, and he's gone to find a refuge somewhere where they will not kill him. And we left each other for four months, five months, I think, I did not know where he was. And so, in, but in between time, war is continuing to go to different city. And so the war was less, it was just like killing, uh, but there's no as much sound of bombs as it was. So then the Red Cross were able to come in and go to different uh, uh, villages and cities and founding who did you lose a loved one? And if you lost a loved one, they will ask you to write a little note and be able to give it to on, they will read it on the radio on the surrounding countries and see if the loved one found here the name then he will come to the station and be able to identify himself and be able to write another response for that letter. And so that's how our refugee life was for the first um, six months. 
Finally, he heard his name in Kenya while he was already in Kenya. And then he responded and then he came, uh, he sent, he sent me where he was. And I was so excited to be able to join him. Wow. That's the first time how I left from. Wow. wow. So you were separated for six months uh, during this time while you were still in, in Congo and he was, he was in Kenya at that point. And you still did. So during this time, that's, that's when you had a baby as well. During that time, now I had a baby. In, oh uh, I had the baby. Uh, the baby stayed until 10 months wow. <laughs> instead of nine months. Wow. And then delivering because now, thank God, mom was a midwife. So she helped me and deliver my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, then I didn't know what's going to happen. Where, where is my husband? Is he alive? Is he dead? Now you have three kids, so you have no idea who's the, where is the father. So you are really in a, even if you, even if your parents are there, it's not the same knowing that your husband is going to have no idea where he went. Mm-hmm. And but we were separated for a long time. You, you finally reconnected and you went to Kenya. You were there together for almost two, almost three years. So, yes, in Kenya, we stayed there um, for. So let me go back a little bit how I went to Kenya. So in still Rwanda couldn't let any people come in who are having the babies and having the family. Rwanda is very close to, to Bukavu, to, to Congo. And so I had to find a way, creative way to divide my kids among my three uh, travel people who are traveling to go to the market, maybe in Rwanda. So I gave them, I, I divided my three kids in different, and two different ladies and myself one. And so we will, one we will cross. And when the other person crossed and they didn't stop them, they have the baby in the back and say, yeah, we're just going to go to the market to get something to eat. And then I will, the other person will come that then I went the last one to make sure all my kids had crossed the, uh, the border. And you couldn't take no photo, no, not a second clause or changing of clothes, nothing that showed that you may be leaving the country. Wow. And so we left, we just imagine having three kids, but you can't have a bunch of diapers or a bunch of changing clothes. And you're going from Bukavu to, to, to Kenya you had to take um, three buses, one from Bukavu to Kigali, Kigali to Uganda, Uganda to Kenya. And that's only where you could get there. Wow. 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 So, so you, you went, got to Kenya. How did you reconnect then with your husband there in Kenya? And where, where were you living during that time? So in Kenya, when when we when we reached Kenya, he was already there. Have an, a protection letter, which called um, a asylum letter, so he can he's have a right to be in Kenya, and he's have a right, a right to have his wife and kids in Kenya with him. So, but they don't give you one thing. They will give you first thing. They will give you a refugee camp where you can go to. And the refugee camp at that time, uh, Kenya is very, uh, have a place that is desert, completely desert. And so in that area is where they were sending refugees. 
in a close to the desert that is sunny like 110 oh every my. day. Wow. Wow. And a bunch of refugees has, has come and you and then they will have um you know like dysentery how you call those things that uh, you, they they what do you call it they a way to clean yourself there's no toilet there's no there's no toilet there's no running water there's nothing that you just given a tent and the dry bins and dry and dry rice that's all you can get and a little a little of oil so living in a camp was un, unheard, like horrible, the horrible things you can ever do. And so then we said, we're not going to live there. So we went back in Nairobi to try to find a way to live. And Nairobi, living in Nairobi, was, we had little money saved while he was working, but it was hard because um, when you don't have nothing adding, everything taking, all the money end up being gone and our lives become so hard. In the three years we lived in Kenya, we moved 22 times. Oh, oh wow. So just imagine, so, and we always lived in one room and, uh, and everyone else in that room. That's where your stove is, that's where you're cooking, that's where everything is, and the common bathroom outside. So, so when you were when you were going through all that, what was you said you were a Christian at that time? What how what were, scriptures were you were you going to? How were you encouraging yourself um, during those times? And it, uh, just as you were tr- going between places, and and what kind of things were you were you praying and and just asking for during that time? First in Congo when we were running, and I remember my husband and I saying that you said. Because we had like a um, prophet, prophecy came to the church we used to go to. If we trust in God and if we put our whole hope in God, he promised he will protect us through all these things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And none of us will perish. Every one of us will survive. Mm-hmm. And I remember my husband and myself, we would put our hands on my bed when my baby was trying to come out. And I was like, you said, God, none of us will perish. Not even one of us will will die. Mm -hmm. And we thank you, God, because you, the Israelites, walked day and night. None of the clothes were uh, turned. Mm -hmm. And none of them was sick. None of them, um, they all arrived safe. And so even the shoes on the feet were still there because, God, you made that possible for them and we are we are your children god and we're going to also none of us will perish and none of us will um will will get weak and so we will always talk to you so i talked to my belly a lot i said my baby not now (laughs) you're going to you're going to be full grown you're going to grow and be a good girl or be a good boy so you're not going to die none of you you're not going to die and so that really was like something we did all the time, speaking speaking life over ourselves. In Kenya, when life was hard, I remember we used to have every weekend, we'll do just uh, fasting from eight to 12, just all the kids, even myself and my husband. And one thing we know, God, it will make a way where there's no way. 
And I think in Isaiah uh, 42, where he said, I will lead the blind the way they have not done before, in an unfamiliar way, I'll, 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 I'll make it known to them. And so um, we always believe that God will make a way where there's none. We always believe that he's, we are blind, we have no clue where we are going, but God is our guide and he's going to lead us and he's going to make a way for us. So that's one thing we believed and trusted God. And I'm telling you, even every day, like um, Matthew, Matthew 6, 11, is one word says, give us our daily bread. And many people don't really go through that and say, give us a deliberate, I have fridge full of food, I have fridge full of this, you don't feel like is a need, but is a, a scripture God put in the Bible for a reason. God, give our daily bread. We thank you that you provide for us and we thank you that our kids are not going to go hungry. We thank you God that we have more than enough. And so give our daily bread. So, we ask that a lot, and I still ask that even now. Mm. Wow. I think about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. And boy, you you lived that. You you walked through there. And, and you may have had you know some fear when you were walking, but you you said, No, I I'm I'm we're walking through. We're not stopping here. We're gonna we're standing on your word, God. And um, you you took those scriptures and you made them personal. I think about how God wants us to plant his word in our hearts. And um, I think about, you know, that that's is such a great example that you planted those words in, in your heart and you stood on those words and you said, no, I believe this. I trust you, Lord. And um, boy, you know, there's so much power in the word that we don't really realize is isn't there. There's, there's so much power. And I even think about what the, the verse that you said, you know, Lord, give us our day, give us this day, our daily bread. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. He wants us to be asking for, um, for what we need every day. And there's so many times we miss that. We we think too practically. Yes, I have a refrigerator. I have food. Um, I have so much. Um, and we forget to ask him for those things that he wants to freely give us. And, um, and, and, you know, when you live through things like this, it, it brings you back to Lord, you do want to take care of our, our daily needs. You do want to take care of these, these things at, a, at just a foundational level. Mm -hmm. And so, wow, what a, what an amazing reminder. Yeah. And I just want to add in two, um, two things to highlight, um, just how every time you guys prayed when you were just sharing about that, um, said, we thanked God. You started by giving thanks yeah. for his promises um, that I just, you know, want that to be highlighted because I know it says that in Philippians about giving thanks, um, bringing our petitions to God. And also that, you know, there's one thing that you said towards the end, um, just about how you pray for daily bread then, but you continue to do it today, even living much more comfortably in the United States you still pray the same prayer, yes. um, even though your circumstances are different, but you still have that dependency, that faith in God and his word. Mm. Yes. So good. So, so good. And, and for me, I think um, not because our situation has changed, but every day, God, all he wants from us really relationship. Mm. And I found out 
bats still speak so loud and so big, the same way he used to speak to his servant Moses, the same way he used to speak to Abraham, the same way he used to, he told that uh, you talk to Gideon or Joshua and stuff like that. He still speak because my life really, I don't know if I could be alive today if God was not real. God mm -hmm. is real and God show himself mightily in our lives every day. We may choose not to see it because we are so, uh, or we feel like we are so intelligent or so smart or so sophisticated, but we, he still speaks to us and he still does a miracle, daily miracle in our lives if we just choose to open our eyes. Mm. And uh, I think going back how we, if I can share a little bit how I end up coming to America mm -hmm. and how God really have been so amazingly good to me, even in a mix of, I may say amazingly good, but still like there's other hard time, that hardship that happened in between, but in all, I still feel like I'm God's favorite. And I'm so mm. <laughs> Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, how did so, you get to to America so, from Kenya? Tell us more about that. So, so now after three years in Kenya, and we really like struggling. The, you know the cold struggle. I had three more kids in Kenya, no two more kids in Kenya, and I remember having my 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 fourth child in Kenya. We had nothing. And I remember that time we went between homes. And so we went to our friend house because they were uh, finishing uh, cleaning the new home we we're going to go to. And while we were staying in that house, I, I got the contraction. I have to go, I have, have to have a baby. So, but my husband is in the other side with boys. So we're not sleeping in the same home. And so I'm here telling the lady of the house, please, I think I'm having a baby and she's like, ah, no, you're not. Your husband is in the middle of the night and he's in Kenya. You don't have money for, for Matatu and the Matatu, the Matatu is the buses. You don't have a way to take a bus. You don't have a way to take, you are like in a mix of limbo. You don't know what to do. So then I stayed and I, all night, trying my best please god help me not have this baby now please god help me not have this baby now but then at four o'clock the lady saw me like she, she's having a baby we need to find her husband so they ran to the boy house where the my husband was staying that night and got him we jump in the matatu now in the bus at around four five a.m we ran into it, we like, but the roads are very, we call it holy, with holes full of holes. Mm -hmm. So by being in that bus, the whole thing was like, I have to have the baby today. Mm -hmm. And so I stepped out of the bus and my husband cut the baby. Oh, <laughs> and my God. I had the baby on the curves outside oh. of the bus. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was it was just uh, amazing and crazy but but in between we don't have home to go to 
and here I am having a baby and you have other three kids with friends holding your babies because you don't have a home. But through it all, I'm telling you, God was amazing. And so life in Kenyan short was not easy, but every day, like say, God will make a way where there's no way. And mm. really he did. And in between now we're like on the list of our people who will come uh, to somewhere, maybe in Europe, maybe in, uh, in America. And in January 2000, my husband was told that his family had been on the list of the people to come to America. <laughs> Just imagine that little bit. You have been praying, God, please let us have some little porridge today. Let us have some little greens today. And yet you are told now you're going to go a place where a woman can be a woman. You're going to be a place a child can be a child and a, a place you can also plan for meal or what to eat. It's just unheard of. It's like, I don't know, every time I say, I say it, I feel like I want to just cry and crawl and just jump once again because it was just amazing. Mm -hmm. In Congo, we couldn't go because the war continued to be in Congo, civil war. They were raping women, they were raping kids and a woman also in Congo is a property of a man. You, a woman doesn't have a say. A woman is just, you belong to the man. Mm -hmm. When you get married, the parents get like 10 cows or 20 cows or five cows, however, but then you, after they pay the dowry, that means you belong to that man. And here I am now having five girls Mm -hmm. And knowing that in in Congo, going there, my kids will never amount for anything because they just meant property. Mm -hmm. And now you are told that you can have a place where your kids can be able to dream. They can be able to become whoever they want to become in life. Wow. Just, a, it's amazing. So that's how we came in America and we, our first place to come to was in Georgia. Georgia, we stayed there for eight years. I was still right there. Wow. Wow. Eight years. And then, uh, and then you continued on to Colorado as well. So yeah. In, in, so um, being in, 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 Atlanta, Georgia was a place where you really can come. Um, you can be you and you can work hard to become something in life. Mm -hmm. But the obstacle that was there, you don't have no uncle, no auntie, nobody. And also you don't know the language. Mm -hmm. um, I was not able to speak English. Uh, I don't speak English. And so then you have also, in order to work, you have to know English. In order to have a license, a driving license, you have to know English. In order to do anything that's really, that can make the path for your dreams, language has to be number one of it mm -hmm. to communicate. And so now you come here, I have five kids and my husband, and then 
any job you found is only uh, maybe um, housekeeping. Any job you find is maybe um, something that is low that you really can't even pay you enough for your rent to be able to do nothing much. Mm. And your education for Africa is doesn't really transfer here. And so that was a huge challenge for my husband because he was a professor in Congo and come here, they're telling him he's going to be a janitor and he's going to be that. And that really humbled him huge, huge way. Mm-hmm. And it was not easy. Like the culture was, the culture shock was real for us because all the, the promises you feel, you hear in America that you, money grow in a, in a, on a tree, didn't grow on a tree. So there was some tons of challenge. Now we're not missing a meal but we have to make sure we pay our rent on time. We have to make sure. So it was a different challenge, but one thing that was so constant and good was the education of the children that they could be able to go to school and that they were able to, to become a woman that they, want, they, they wanted to be. Mm. That's the other thing. Yeah. So then, um, in 2008, my husband heard about, uh, he was driving to go to work and he heard about uh, Andrew Womack who was speaking about um, the unconditioned love of God. Because in all, even though we believe all that in Africa and, and, and Georgia, we always believe that if we pray hard, if we give hard, if we work hard, then God will hear us, then God will bless us, then God will talk, to, you know, will be able to be mindful to us. You know that we knew that, you know, God already blessed us through Christ. God loves us. All things were complete in Christ. When we believed in Jesus and made him Lord and Savior of our lives, that means we became children of God. We became part of the family of God. We didn't know that. And so when my husband heard it, the unconditioned love of God, he was like, what do you mean? God has forgiven me past, present, and future, and I belong to him. I don't have to do much of those things. I'm working so hard to please the pastor here, to please so-and-so here, to visit as many uh, as many people so I can be good, doing good works. No, it's not what God was looking for. He was so excited. And then the next kid, while he was driving, he was like, Julie, listen to this man. He's really knowing what we need, you know. And I'm telling from that day, our lives changed completely because he's like, no, we need to go and find more about it. Because if we know, then we can go back to our own people and share with them. God is not the source of your destruction, of your hardship, of what's happening to you. For these women who are raped, it's not God who sent those guys to come and destroy your life because we're all associating every bad thing to God. He is the one he allowed it. While is not true, so he left and went to Colorado. And then soon after, I joined him 
to be able to come to Colorado College and our life changed. Wow. I love that when you when you encountered the unconditional love of God, it was uh, it wasn't just so you could, wow, we are unconditionally loved. We've been forgiven past, present, and future sins. But you you were automatically thinking of how can we get more of this? How can we understand this more fully so that we can go and take this back to other people? And there's just so many so so much power in those words. So that um, because so many times we get something and we, we, we grab hold of a, a different revelation or we, we have something come into our lives, you know, financially or whatever. Um, and we don't, we don't think that so that I can help other people so that I can uh, transfer that. I love that your hearts are, wow, we've come into something so amazingly good. How can we now get more of this? So we, so that we can share more uh, with other people. That's wow. That just reveals your hearts so well. Thank you. Wow. So you, so you moved from Atlanta to, to Colorado. Tell, tell us more about your journey uh, in Colorado. My journey, we arrived here uh, 2008, uh, September actually, 2008, September 11, 2008. And so when we got here, we came with suitcases. So we left everything. We, in Georgia, we already accumulated American lifestyle. We finally had our first brand new house. It was a beautiful home. And then we had, I had my favorite car in the whole world is a Land Rover. I had my Land Rover. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm living American dream. And so we left everything. We came with suitcases with all six kids. And we took all the kids out of school. That was the hardest one leaving the friend, leaving the things they have done for the whole time, and now bring them in a new place where having no clue what's going to happen. So being here, we found like the house didn't have no bed. <laughs> we slept on the floor for the first night. Then the next night, that's the coolest thing God does. It's like my husband was in class, and he, a, a friend of his, just another student, came and tapped him on his shoulder, and he said, brother, God showed me that I need to buy a mattress for you. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. That's so weird. Yeah. But God told me to buy mattresses for you. Wow. And then he said, does it really speak to your heart? And he said, yes, my family just came. We have no mattresses. <laughs> and we, we need mattresses. I said, sure, let's go, brother. Let's go get the mattress. And they bought all, I think, four mattresses. Mm. brand new mattresses everyone have beds all the rooms have beds and then the other ladies they like collected like bed sheets like I have, so I have packed some few bed sheets and we just spread on the bed and so every day God was showing himself like I called you here and I'll sustain you here and so every day I in Georgia I was not experiencing that it was like me, I'm going to work over shift or overnight shift. I work at Children's Hospital. And then my husband was working for, for another hospital in Georgia at that time. Now we have now went up to living in American dream. We were like really making it. And now all that is gone. All the, you don't have no job here. You don't have no, uh, nothing except just you and you alone and God. 
So God showed he, himself to us daily that he will provide for us. So people were like, oh, you need dishes? Oh my goodness, I have plenty. I have like set of dishes and they bring it to my house, set of pots and they'll bring it to my house. Before you know it, I had everything I needed in the house. Wow. Just from just listening to God. Amen. So, but then, uh, so we went to school and every single Saturday, my husband, he loved worship a lot. And so every single Saturday, we will have in the house, we're renting, we'll have our basement and we will just read Psalms on Saturday's night from seven, no, from six to 10. We read mm -hmm. Psalms and present and worship songs. And so people, other students start joining us and, and I'll have like tons of food, I love cooking. So I'll have tons of food and we will have food and we'll go in the basement and we'll have a present worship and songs mm -hmm. and testimony. So we did that for whole nine months while we were in the first year. Then after break, promotion breakfast, my husband got ill and he died. Just, I don't know, after you already know, first year you get sure foundation who you are in Christ and how much God loves you and how much God is for you. He's your healer. He's your provider. He's, you found those promises of God are real and you are living it and you are excited. And then suddenly my husband dies. I was like... Mm what um i had to make a choice to believe on those god's promises are real even like in 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 james it says that god doesn't have a bad gift to give to his children if it's bad it's not from god if it's good it's god and so i'm like okay god you said you have no bad gifts to give it to your children. And he also in his word, he says like, if we men, wicked men, know how to give our children a perfect gift, how much our heavenly father, so we will not give a snake for fish, we will not give a rock for bread. Mm. So how will we take God as a father to give us that bad things that happen in our lives? So I have to go back and just like renewing my mind on what God says and believing on what he says. Mm -hmm. So um, my favorite thing I did really after he passed away and I went back on the promises. You said you are the father for the fatherless. I want you to be a really father. I want you to take care of my kids. I want you to be really father when they need you. You are always present. When they be crying, you're always there to comfort them. When So I just put stuff on him as a father will do to his children. Mm -hmm. And then as me, as a, as a widow, I'm like, you say you are the husband for the widow. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to look ruggish. I don't want to look like, I, oh, poor her. She doesn't have a husband. No wonder she's having a a shoe that is broken. No, I live my life the way, if I'm your wife, if I'm you going to be my husband, that means you will take care of me in a way that is stylish, beautiful, and is not bad. 
Mm. I put that on God. And I'm telling you, every single day, God proven me that he's real and he will do what he promised. He will do much more. You know, in Ephesians Ephesian 3.20 says, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can even think or even imagine. Mm-hmm. But according to the power that works in us, we don't really take that so real. And we feel like, yeah, he's able. No, he is really able. He is really capable. He's not just saying that to have a good feeling, a good goosebump of it is really able he is doing it mm-hmm. and for i can testify that because god has done it for the past 12 years wow. amen wow listeners what really stands out to me and, and I, I don't want us to miss this is that you know things that that happen in our lives they aren't always from they aren't always from god bad things can can and do happen but the the words I had to make a choice Mm -hmm. and wow, there's so many times where we just have to make that choice. No matter what my eyes see, no matter what I experience, God is good that his promises are true. I believe those I stand on them. I'm not being pulled left. I'm not being pulled right. I'm moving forward and I'm not going to allow this to, to hinder me and pull me back from, you know, the, 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 the life that God uh, does have for me, even, even still. And that's hard sometimes that wasn't, I'm sure that wasn't an easy, uh, easy decision. I'm sure that was a daily, something that you had to remind yourself of daily. And, and you had, you said you had to renew your mind. And, 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 and part of that is, is taking out old beliefs and renew, replacing it with new beliefs of, of, of taking the word of God and saying, this is what I thought uh, about God. And this is what is really true about God and replacing that renewing yourself in um, renewing the mind um, is so important, but, we will come to those different uh, times in our life that we have to make a choice. And I love that you made that choice that you said, God, I trust you. We're moving forward. Your word is true. And, and it propelled you into, uh, into how do you continue to move forward without, uh, without a husband with children. And, uh, and, and I love, I love, I, I, we know you, so we know a little bit more about what's next, but wow. So, so take us, uh, take us, more into into your journey after after that how did you walk through that and what what did god begin to put into your heart uh beyond that after you had made the choice so what happened uh was like um we have to first i have i had six kids at that time and so we had to um come together as family Mm. and talk and pray and be in the same page. And because I think he left me, like I had a like, teenager, my oldest was 15, my youngest was three and a half. Mm. And in between, that means they're like in 10s and 12 and 13, 14. So it means they had some emotional that can go crazy quickly if we don't communicate on who God is. Mm. So really the main thing was you must know God is real and God is love. God loves you. God wants good things for you. Mm. And in this world, we all passing in like in, in John 16 at the end, it says, 
in this world we, we will have trouble. He's not, he didn't say that we will never have any. We will have it. So we have to communicate. Then the girls, what they did, what was really amazing, they made um, a plan who, how to help each other. And the one who knew math helped the other one who didn't know math. The one who knew better English helped each other and communicated and we create a schedule who's going to do what and how they're going to do it. And from that alone, the grades did not go low. The school didn't even know that these kids have lost their father who was doing homework with them, who was doing stuff with them. But the schools, the, the grades went high. And so when my oldest graduated, she was one of her 4% uh, of her class and end up having a full ride scholarship to go to school in Colorado College. Then my second graduated and she also for I think high percentage in her class, end up having a full bride, a full scholarship to go to Duke University. So their faith was growing and believing. Every time I'll talk to them like, no, you don't have to have that. They will say, no, mom, you are not mom, my dad. My dad, Heavenly Father, he said, I can have all things I need. He's able, yeah, he, he, I, he, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And you are, he's the one strengthening me. He's the one who's helping me. And so I can do it, mommy. And so they, they start like leaning more on God, not what my little brain can say, oh, baby, we, that's too high. Can't you just go to community college? It's nice. Like, you know, mom. I can go to that school too. It's not just for some, it's also for me. So the faith grew and, and also not only that, but also having, associating yourself with the right people, with the right church is also really important. Mm -hmm. In my church, Christ Christian Center, where there's a long time pastor will say, I have favor with God, I have favor with men, and I have good understanding. And he will say that over every end of the service. It become like a, something my kids, myself, knowing, yes, I do have favor. I have the mind of Christ. So you walk with it, it transfer, it become real for your life. And that favor start coming real for you. And that was a little journey for the past, uh, uh, I think the past 10 years of, of our lives, we've seen God's favor, we've seen God's goodness, we've seen God, uh, it's not because we are good or because we've done something amazing, but God alone have been able to show ourselves, show us who he is. Let me take you back a little bit. How did I end up like, doing what I'm doing for the, for the kids in Congo after all that in between. So after my husband passed away in 2009, in 2010, we had our file, our last tax return, like a share tax return together. Then in that, in that one, I had to ask, I was asking God, please God, show me where do I put 10% of this tax return? So if, can please you, can bless someone. This is his last one and together. So I want it to make an impact on somewhere. So I was praying to God to show me where. Mm -hmm. And I hold on on that money for, I think for two weeks. Then in my second year, I was in school. 
and Andrew was preaching about God's God's um God's vision for our lives or God's plan for our lives, and and that plans of God, we can plan, but sometimes it's not what um we plan end up happening, and plan B can be even better than plan A. And he was I don't remember the whole teaching, but the end of the teaching. I said hello to him and he said how the kids like he usually did. And then he said, don't you think, you think God is finished with you? And I'm like, what do you mean? So yeah, plan B can still be better than plan A. And I'm like, oh. for me, I'm just going to learn who I am and, and raise my kids. There's no way I have any other plan except raising my kids to know God. Mm. And so I got home that day then no two days later my dad called who was a principal in a small school in a village he always called me to cheer me up and saying check on me and what's happening with my family here and this time he was depressed he was sad he was not giggling like usual and i said dad what's wrong he said no nothing so dad what's wrong and then he said if you have to know i have to send orphans kids home tomorrow because they couldn't pay the tuition and I have I'm out of money to keep on helping them to stay in school because the teacher won't they pay and I don't have the money to pay them and I say dad that's exciting I'm like what do you mean exciting so they're going to be kicked out of school and I said no that's exciting because dad is going to pay for the kids to stay in school mm-hmm. it's like honey I didn't call you to ask you for money I know and he said, no, you didn't call me to ask me for money because I know exactly it's not my money, it's God's money. And I'm going to send it to you tomorrow. Don't send the kids to school. Tell your teachers that money is coming. I was so excited. The next day I went to Western Union and I wired the money and he got the money. And the kids stayed in school from March to July. No kids were kicked out of school. 200 kids the orphan one and the non-orphan everyone was paid for until july the school was finished so in between in between he will call and and he will call and he will say hey someone is on phone for you and then the little kid will say thank you for paying my tuition i'm like i did not pay for the tuition and it's like yeah you god used you to pay for the tuition that's why they need to say that thank you in my heart, there's something that will burst in. So God still have a purpose for my life. So God still can use me even though I'm far away, even though I don't have much, but God can still use me. So then I tell the girls and the girls were like, oh my goodness, mom, we can do it. We can stop with this meal or we can do this. We start making plan and it will send a little money to be able to support more kids in Congo from 2010. Then 2012, uh, no, 2011, I went to Congo to visit my, my, my family and I took the kids. And it, while I was there, then that's when God spoke to me. So don't you think it's time to share with other people what I've been doing through you so you can bless these kids, they can bless these kids too. And I said, God doesn't speak, I don't speak English. I can't write who am I going to tell. I can't do all that you're asking me to do. I can keep on sending money as much as I can. 
And I said, no, all I need is your yes. And I'll raise men and women who will be able to help you in doing this. And my two hands went up like, when you said you, you yes, only you need only my yes, yes, I'm, I'm in. And I'm telling you that one little yes has done amazing thing. And God has raised men and women. And now we have 486 kids that we support uh, at in school, 300 uh, malnourished kids feeding center that we're feeding all the time, 260 women that we feed and give clothing to like, uh, we give them like monthly food for the widows so they can be able to sustain the, the family. So I'm telling you, God is amazing. Wow. I just, I love um, all of it, <laughs> but just want to really highlight how you said that God spoke to you. I need your yes. When, you know, you had all these reasons of, well, I can't, you know, just doubts and things that were you know, trying to come in, but God just said, I just need your yes. And then I will bring the people to help you. I will bring, I just need your yes. And you said, okay, yes, God. (laughs) And just hearing the outcome of all of that is just incredible that, um, you know, just how God works through our obedience and, um, how, you know, he brought people to surround you and it's, you know, it's a blessing for people to also be involved in, in redeeming love ministries and just how, how God's working. It's just incredible. So, yeah, there's so much gold in this. I hope, um, I, I hope we're, we're, we're catching all this. Um, but you know, some of the things that we need to, I wanted to highlight was just, one, the yes, that God wants our yes, and he can do the rest. But so many times we just are so fearful. We're so insecure. We're so, there's, we, we, the, the, the list of reasons can go on and on. And God just needs our yes. He just needs us to trust him and believe him. But, you know, as we look for ways to live the mission of God in our lives, if we look for ways that God, yes, I do say yes, but, but now what? Um, so many times, if we look back, at our at our at where we've come from, God will use something. He'll take us back to a place or to something in our life that um, that we can go and we can we can make an impact into. And I love how God brought you out of something, and He brought you out of such tragedy and such such hardship. But He circled you back into making a difference into so many lives. You didn't just look. You didn't just leave it and and never look over your shoulder again. You look back and you, and and you were looking for opportunities of how can I how can I use these resources? And God brought you back to what to people in your hometown and into your village and to your into people that your family were influencing. And He said, "Here now, let me give you something different. Let me show you how you can." Um, how you can impact the community that you came from. Let me show you what you, what I can do with your yes. And that is so important that listeners, when we say yes, God will take those things that from our past and he will redeem those things. He will bring, uh, bring the good out of those things and he will use us to, to help other people, but it requires that. Yes. And, um, 
you know, I, I also wanted to go back to, wow, after this is a little ways back, but you talking about how your family, you know, you had to kind of circle the wagons around wagons around your family and, and how so many times we, we overlook the importance of family because we're trying to get here, we're trying to get there. And it's so important that God wants us to take, to, to, to be in unity as a family and to take those words and those promises together. And I love how you, you stood on those promises of God, you will protect us, that we will not die, that, this, that we are going to move and you are going to protect us. And you, did, you, you moved from Congo into Kenya and you moved from Kenya to the United States. And, and you saw those, that provision, you saw those, uh, that faithfulness of God. And yet you transferred that to the next generation. Your children are saying, no, I'm, if God did it for them, he'll do it for me. And you, you, you also made that demand on, on those promises that God are the Israelites. They, they were protected. Their, their, their clothes did not wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. And if you did it for them, you'll do it for me. And so many times we have to stand on his word like that as we take those yeses and we have to, to say, God, if you, you are not a respecter of person, if you did it for that person, you'll do it for me. Thank you, Lord. Here's my yes. Now use what I have, use all that I have, the good, the, the challenging, the hurts, God, let, use me to restore, uh, to restore and to help other people. And the last thing I want to highlight is, is that you're a steward. Um, there's so much importance in understanding that God, see, when God entrusts us with resources, we're stewards. Uh, and so when you receive those funds back as a, as a tax return, your immediate uh, response wasn't, hey, I can go buy something new. I can go buy new clothes for myself. But it was, God, who can I help? How can I bless someone else? And that is the steward mentality that God wants to, to develop in all of us, so that, we can, uh, that he can entrust us with more to be a bigger blessing to those around us as you are right now. So, so you're, you're helping hundreds of, of students and orphans in, in, in the Congo, uh, are you, and you're developing women. Uh, I, I think you're doing some other projects. Tell us a little bit more about some of the other, uh, the building projects and things that you're doing in, in Congo uh, currently. Oh, wow. Um, what we're doing now, like for the women we take, many women, um, we take in is women who have been raped from the war or husband died from the war. And so then some of the kids that conceived that time, 1998, those kids like are rejected in the community or the kids are not, were not accepted and they become like almost street kids. Most of the kids, not all of them. There's also other women who the grandmothers um, who are taking care of the grandkids because maybe the child, the daughter died from HIV or the son died from whatever disease. And so the grandmother become the new the people who are taking care of this new generation, young kids. Just imagine after you already finished raising your kids and then now they tell you, uh, you are becoming another, you're becoming a mother again. And those women really don't have a way to be able to send a kid to school. And imagine in the African people, we don't have like few kids, like minimum of the people we have, have six to seven kids, but most of them have none and up. Mm. That's the basic of family household, how many in? The one minimum is six. The maximum has seen up to 14 uh, kids in one house. So what do we, 
what we are working on right now. So after we take the women, one requirement we give them first clothing, so dignity, because many of these women don't go to church, don't go to community area, because they only have one set of clothes. So one thing we do first thing after we we put them in our program, we give them a set of clothes so they can have a way to change clothes. Mm -hmm. The second one, we give them lotion, so they can be lotion, soap, um, then we give them uh, rice and beans, the things that they can eat also. See, rice is a luxury thing. Uh, having like little salt, like sugar to drink tea is a luxury thing. So giving them that if they feel like for real, for me, also for me. So it makes them so excited and feel like first time ever someone ever cared for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that restored the heart, showing them, you know what, God is really not the one who did this to you. And it's not God who's putting this to you. God actually loves you. And that's number one. We want number thing, number one thing we want is restore the relationship uh, of God to them. Because we associate so many hearts to God. And that's other religion have spoken. So you you must be a sinner, you must be a bad person, you must, and then you feel guilt and more and more. So what we also have to, we do for them is also uh, teach them how a better way to garden, to plant, uh, like they have may have been the field of beans, but that bean they end up messing up with it before it can fully grow. So we teach them how to leave the, the, the crops to grow fully and we teach them how what they need to do in order to, to grow it fully. Then we have been trying as much as we can build homes for them like because they live in a little hut or mud house and when it rains they the rain go through the, 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 the grass and then they end up being uh, wet in bed or wet on floor they don't have beds like when they're sleeping. So, cause we cannot really, we have not been able to build for many people. So far we have built six houses for the widows, but in between we just like hire some guys who can uh, repair the roofing like with the grass and still grass until we can be able to get to those uh, women. So then we have a center where we like um, the feeding center because Many kids, they can have both parents, but they're malnourished to the maximum. So the bellies are big, huge. And then what's inside is parasites. So many of them, like last year we did five surgery where we have to really, because the, the, the tablets, the, the, what do you call it? The medication couldn't flush the belly. Mm -hmm. So then they have to go surgery. They pull the the stuff that look like spaghetti. <laughs> oh, <laughs> look wow. like spaghetti out of oh. the belly. Then we oh. flush it so the kids can have a nutrition where you can stay in the belly. Mm. But majority of them like easy to flush and then they, they, they pass it out. But doing that, we have really, really seen amazing things happen to the kids from the big chick 
to back to normal just for the porridge and one egg a day. So mm. we do one egg three times a week. Porridge, not like a, a com compounded, like tons of vitamins in one cup of porridge. And three times a week, the kids' lives come back to normal slowly, slowly. So, so what we really are working on is we also have like other kids who were like in a, we send them to the hospital, they get surgery, they get come back. But when they go to the homes, again, they become the same thing. And that cost us a lot of money to keep on sending kids to the surgery and stuff like that. So we we planning, we are working on a recovery center where we can have these kids and have to finish all the those for medica medication and then train these women how you will do to the kids in order for the kids to continue to stay healthy and not die. So we're trying to build that um, and have more, more food. We need more food for the kids and for the community. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So, as people as people hear your story here, I mean, it's it's hard not to be you know to to be moved and to be inspired and to to be encouraged by how God is is has used your story and is using you to impact uh, children in, in uh, across the world and mm -hmm. in, in Congo, changing their lives, changing the trajectory of where they're going. Uh, because health and, and, and nutrition is so important. Uh, it's hard not to be inspired by that. How can people begin to connect? What is, do you have a website? Do you have uh, a social media presence that people can begin to follow and, and, and learn more about the ministry that you're, you're doing in, in the Congo? Yes, please. We do have a website. We still like working on it, but um, we have a lot of information on it. And it's called rlmcongo.org. Uh, so, so it's like redeeming love ministry. I don't know. RLMcongo.org. I think that's the easier way or that net, whichever one it is. But uh, really, we love to have people and pray for the kids and the women because they need prayer. They need love. They need to know that God is not the one putting those things on them. So many people may say, oh, I don't have a way to give, but you can pray. Please pray for the Congolese kids also that they can also know that they are loved and they're cared for. Mm -hmm. So right now we also have 18 kids who graduated from school. Going back a bit, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, when we first started this, uh, going to the, the kids and telling them God loves them, God is the father, God is the friend, God is care for them. For those kids who never seen a father, they were like, if God is like my father, I don't want nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. Because all I, all I know, the one who put me in this world destroyed my mother. Or the one I seen in my, in my neighborhood, he beats my brother, he beats my friends. He never good, he never nice. And if God is like that, I don't want nothing to do with him. So it took it took us a while and with my missionary friends who will come and do the VBS and teach them from foundation what God intended for mankind and what he really want for us. What, what does he want for us? 
they slowly start uh, believing that God wants relationship. God is a father. God is a provider. God cares for them. And being consistent on what, because all they did, they were just out of school all the time because they can't pay to tuition. They were they didn't have uniform. They didn't have shoes on their feet. They were not like every other kids. Now, when we provided those things, they realized really, maybe God is real for them. I can start dreaming. So mm-hmm. we we also start sharing with them. They can dream. What do they want to be when they grow up? And like the first time I said that in 2012, I think they said. Um, I want, can I be in school next month, please? They couldn't pass next month not being kicked out of school. Mm. So now after a year, the seen as paid, the seen as being there, the seen as uh, giving the school bag and stuff, they start dreaming. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a, a professor. I want the dreams is like bubbling in the heart. <sighs> And then now the kids have been amazing. First, always in class, very bright, very serious, and always with good behavior. So now we had 18 graduates that's past uh, October. And so these kids wrote to me and say, now, Miss Julie, I want to go, I want to be a doctor. Remember I told you I want to be a doctor? They have dreams like light up. And I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, guys. You know, only I can take you until 12th grade. Not after 12th grade. I felt like oh, a jerk uh, because you tell them to dream. And now you're telling them not to dream beyond 12th grade. And so what I'm really uh, praying to God to do for me is to raise like men and women who will say there are not too many kids, the only 18 and some of them, not all of them have to go to college. But um, I'm praying that God raise up men who will say, you know what, $1,000 not so much. I want to support this kid to go to school. $1,000 the whole year to be able to stay in school for the whole year in university. And that's including everything. And so that's what I'm praying for, for, for those kids who still want to dream to be able to be able to dream and go beyond where they, they can go. So that's another request I have. Amen. Wow. So there's so much here. There's so much here. And it's so encouraging. Wow. We, I feel like we could just sit here and, and talk with you all afternoon and, mm-hmm. and, and just continue <laughs> to, to be encouraged and, and to, to learn more about um, how, how God is a redeemer. He is a restorer. Uh, and he is a, uh, he is a, he is a dreamer. You know, he's put those things in, in our hearts. And so many times that, uh, you know, if it's, if it's going through hardship, that sometimes we just put things over those dreams and, and we, we kind of put them off to the side. Or if it's uh, some of these children where they, they, their stomachs are too hungry, they're, they're, uh, they're, their challenges are too hard. And they, they kind of, at that point, begin to almost stop dreaming. And God is, he is a dreamer. He wants us to dream those things that he put in, he puts into our hearts and uh, he, he wants to use us. And so many, so many times it goes back to our yes. And it, so it goes back to just helping somebody with basic needs, with food, 
with shelter, with sharing just something, something so simple, but yet so profound. God loves you. Mm-hmm. He loves he is you. He's a good father. Yes. He's for mm-hmm. you. He's not against you because so many times in this world, we'll hear those lies that he's against you. He's giving you those things. He's, he's punishing you. And he is a good mm-hmm. father. He's a very good father. Wow. So we want to honor your time here. Uh, we want to, uh, we, we, want to, uh, well, we could, we could talk all afternoon, but um, so people can connect with you via website. Do you have an email that people can connect as well? Yes, please. It's rlmcongo.net at gmail.com. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Listeners, we'll have all those, that information in the show notes for you. So you can, so you can connect with, uh, with, with Julie and with Redeeming Love Ministries and, and hear what, what they're doing and what they're working on and, and potentially be a, pro, uh, be a part of what that, what they're doing as well. So Julie, we want to thank you so much for, for being part mm, of yes, thank you. the show today. Thank you for so, having what me. A, what an honor. It's such a, <laughs> such an encouragement. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. And please continue and may God bless and bless your ministry. 